and as you turn in there, we'll go to the Lord uh, in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, you are so worthy, Lord. You're the ultimately worthy one. That's why we worship you. And in our own strength, we're, we're so unworthy. Our righteousness is filthy rags before you. But you have given those who trust in your son Jesus for salvation. You've given us and credited to our account the righteousness of Christ. May we forever be humbled by your grace and your mercy. Lord, I, I just pray that uh, you would prepare us. So, we, so many of us have shown that we could be really solid Christians, really solid followers of Christ when days are good. And as long as America is the most prosperous nation on earth. The time of testing is coming upon America and upon the West and upon the world. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, we would not only live for you when days are good, but we'd be willing to die for you, to suffer and die for you when things get bad. So, Lord, as our faith is tested, may we pass that test through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Cause us to build your kingdom and not our own and uh, be faithful servants through your power and for your glory until your son returns in glory to make things right on planet Earth. And so I pray, Lord, and the people that are here today, they came to hear your truth. They came to hear the word of, of God, not, not fake news, not the faulty wisdom of man. So, Lord, I just pray that you would cancel this fallible man so that your infallible, your perfect word would be proclaimed. I pray I would not lead anyone astray. Help us to test what we hear with your word. Help us to understand the truths that are proclaimed today and help us to apply these truths to our lives. And we pray, amen. You know, on September 30th, I've got a... Uh, Men's breakfast, I'll be, or it's pastor's breakfast, and the pastors can bring their wives and stuff like that. But they're opening up. If anybody who's in Christian ministry, even if you're not paid or whatever, could go. But it's September 30th in, uh, in Burien, and they want me to teach on what it's like living in a post-Christian culture. And, you know, I'm, I'm they're great people, and I love them, everything, and and I'm going to do that, but technically we've been living in a post-Christian culture probably from the day I was born, in January 1st, 1960. You don't, you don't take prayer to the government-run schools in a Christian culture. I remember when, when President Obama said that we're no longer a Christian nation, and all my pastor buddies got mad, and I said, no, he's right on this one. And... Um, so we've been living in a, you know, you don't, you don't kill babies before they're born in a Christian culture. We started doing that when 1973, we made it universal across the, the country. This is not, this has been a post-Christian culture for a long time, but now we've entered into the phase of an anti-Christian culture. A culture that is no longer built upon the foundation of God's word and God's truths and God's morality but now a culture that despises that. And um, 
And so it's kind of sad seeing so many pastors waking up and smelling the coffee, but it's kind of late. Prepare our people and how we should live for the Lord. Uh, but pastors got to also teach teaches people how to die if need be. And we don't go out. We don't seek to be persecuted. That's that's not our job. But um, but the idea that the number one goal in life is to live as long as we could possibly live. No, no. Number one goal in life is to worship and serve the crucified, risen King of Kings. And, um, and if that means suffering, so be it. If that means persecution, so be it. Now, I don't have time to go over all the stuff that we cover, what the Bible says about persecution. And uh, uh, we're just going to try to finish up with the last five points or so on how we should respond to it. But remember, uh, we mentioned don't, don't be ashamed to suffer for Jesus. You know, you go to a bar, you get drunk, you get in a fist fight, you get arrested, you're in jail, you ought to be ashamed. Okay? But you get locked up for preaching King Jesus. Oh, you're in good company. You're in real good company. The creator became one of us and visited his planet. What do we do? We, we arrested him and we killed him. Praise God that he saves us through his death and resurrection. But uh, Peter and Paul, the apostles, never, ever, ever be ashamed to suffer for the cause of the gospel. We've got to decide, hey, you, we're going to obey God rather than men. We've got to live to please God. Our culture right now is pretty much criminalizing obeying God in a lot of areas. Yet we've got to love our enemies and pray for them and turn the other cheek. We got to understand and accept that God will work everything for good. You know, weightlifters, we had that expression, no pain, no gain. It's the same. It's, it's a spiritual truth as well. Without the pain and the suffering, we can't grow, and our, our faith's got to be tested. And um, we don't have, just because we're American, we don't have an exemption, persecution exemption. And um, when we are arrested for preaching Jesus, um, God will give us the words to speak. And we still got to study the word, but God will give us, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak. Don't fear, we're more than conquerors in Christ. Live for Jesus, not for yourself. And the Bible does say it's okay to flee or try to defend your, your loved ones if that opportunity is there. But um, um, it's okay to be a, we, I spent a lot of time last, the last sermon I gave on this, it's okay to be a quiet Christian. It's not okay to deny Jesus, but you can serve and share Jesus in a, in a quiet way. Because the loudmouth Christians, okay, they're going to be the first ones to get locked up. But, um, but we're going to have a strong remnant, strong underground church here in America, just like there is in China today. Just like there is in North Korea today. Just like there is in Muslim countries today. King Jesus always has a remnant. And so now we're going to pick it up from there.
So don't, don't, don't be ashamed to be arrested. Don't be ashamed to not be arrested. You know, the government might, you know, what if the, what if the government cracks down, starts arresting pastors, and they don't arrest me? I'm going to feel kind of bad, you know? It's like, and, but it's like, hey, you know, just wherever God's put you, you know, if you're, if you're not in prison, you, what do you do? You preach Jesus. You go to prison, what do you do? You preach Jesus. They get tired of you. They lock you up in solitary confinement. What do you do? You get a really good devotional life, okay? But, uh, but it's all about, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God the Son who became a man because he loves us. Died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. So he's got a few more points that are in the, the, the half-page handouts. And uh, so look at Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Verse 13, by the way, is one of the most, probably the, the second most quoted out of context verse in the Bible. The other one's Matthew 7, 1. Everybody's saying, oh, the Bible says don't judge. No, it says if you want to avoid judgment, don't judge others because you'll be judged by that same standard. Now, once you get the log out of your eye, don't be a hypocrite. Then you can help people take the splinter out of their eyes. But Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean you can claim a Corvette in Jesus' name. <laughs> by, the, by the way, I think Tim Tebow quoted it in context. He knew, I'm going to lose some big games, and I'm going to win some. I don't get a guaranteed victory by quoting Philippians 4.13. So I think Tim Tebow understood this passage, okay? And, but most people who quote it, it's like, you know, I'm going to name and claim a Corvette in Jesus' name. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's the exact opposite of that. So the proper context starts in verse 11. Paul says this, Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So you're not getting persecuted? Be content. You're getting persecuted? Be content. You're hungry? Be content. You're filled? Be content. See, now, Paul is not saying that everybody here and all Christians should be content. No, if you're out of God's will, you should never be content. But once you're in God's will, then you be content with what you have. You know, you might, you might be selling out for Jesus and then wondering how come your siblings and your friends make way more money than you do. Hey, if you're being all that God called you to be, you'd be content with a little bit of money. Whatever it is that God has provided, but it's our, our job to be in God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory, and then we be content, whatever social class. So not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, to be satisfied. Be satisfied. Are you satisfied with Jesus? A lot of us aren't content. You know, even ministers, we could, we could say, Oh, yeah, I'm content in Jesus. I just wish I could reach more people. Well, good. You want to reach more people for God's kingdom. But there's a thin line between that and wanting to reach more people because you, you want to be famous. Are we content? Are we satisfied? Are we building our own kingdom, not the Lord's kingdom? Paul says, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I spent the, the word in the Greek Pontus for all things. I did this two week study of it to try to figure out what exactly it meant. And after two weeks of studying, I realized, oh, wow, it means all things. Um, and so what, what Paul is saying there is like, I can survive and thrive in the good days and in the bad days because my strength is King Jesus. If your strength is your house, your car, your paycheck, and that gets taken away, man, your, your idols have been smashed. But if your strength is in King Jesus, you can enjoy those other things and use them for God's glory. But if it gets taken away from you, if your strength is the Lord Jesus, you're still strong. Okay? Remember, the Bible, the Bible promises that God will give us everything that we need. Not everything we want, but everything that we need. And that makes us happy. The other side of the coin is, though, the Bible teaches all you need is Jesus. I got a wife that encourages me. I got a wife that loves me, you know. I got a wife that believed in me when nobody believed in me. It's like, who's going to, this uh, guy from Essex County, New Jersey, thinks he's going to be a preacher? He didn't even sound smart. And, uh, but she believed in me and all. And, um, and I've got to appreciate her more because there's no guarantee, you know, she's going to be here forever and all. And we got getting good reports. She could live to be 90 or 100, you know. But um, everything we have, even our loved ones, can be taken from us, but they can't take Jesus from you. They can't take King Jesus from you. Okay? And... Um, but we got to remember that we can survive and thrive in all trials, you know? Again, it's like, it's like Chris was saying in the prayer, when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. You know, a, lot of, a lot of false teachers act like you become a Christian, you don't suffer anymore. God makes you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's baloney, Okay. When you turn your life over to King Jesus and you trust in him alone for salvation, you suffer just like the world suffers. In fact, you're gonna, we're going to suffer even more than the, un, the unbelievers suffer. Um, the difference is when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found out they weren't in the fiery furnace alone. We're not going to go through the fiery furnace alone. Okay? And... Um, uh, so remember, we can survive and thrive in all trials when we suffer. We don't suffer alone. The Lord Jesus is our strength. And, you know, better is one day in his courts. We were singing that song. I would rather suffer for Jesus than live with the luxuries of this world. Let me repeat that. I would rather suffer for Jesus than live with the luxuries of this world. And I'm sure we would all say amen, you know. Until like our second microwave breaks down. And then we think, ah, oh, this is what Job went through. You know, and, uh, but we got to be more serious. We got to, don't just say it. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to Phil Fernandez here. Don't just say I would rather suffer for Jesus than live with the luxuries of this world. I got to mean it. 
I got to believe it. Paul says we're complete in Christ. Jesus is enough. Okay? The American church needs to hear that more than, than any other country, than the Christians in any other country. I don't have to preach this message in Ethiopia to Christians or the Sudan or Nigeria. They know that Jesus is enough. Here in America, I don't think we know that Jesus is enough. And, uh, you know, Mark 8, 36, where Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If, if Bill Gates doesn't come to Jesus, what good is a billion going to do for him? He can't take it with him. Uh, and so when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. Jesus is our strength, Okay. No matter what, what the, how the world defines power and strength one way, we define it another way. And we define power and strength in one word, and that's, that's Jesus. Okay? Uh, look at uh, Philippians 3, the chapter before this, Philippians 3, verse 20. It's talking about people, many people set their minds on earthly things, and their end is destruction. But then Paul says to the Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm from Essex County, New Jersey. Now I've been a Bremertonian for quite some time here. And um, in some sense, I'm still proud to be American because of years gone by. Um, but the fact of the matter is I'm just passing through. You're just passing through. Um, sometimes I like staying at hotels when I speak. Sometimes I don't like it. I want to get home. feels comfortable to be home. But you don't get too comfortable on planet Earth. We're just passing through, brothers and sisters. We're just passing through. Our real citizenship is in heaven. And, uh, yeah, we got, you know, as Christians, we need to submit to the governing authorities, except when they tell us to disobey God. We need to be good citizens. We're going to see a little bit more about that. We're supposed to be praying for our leaders, even if you didn't vote for the guy. You know, we pray for our leaders. And, uh, and so, a little, in fact, let's cover that right now. First Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, not just believers, for all men. For kings, there were very few kings at that point that were saved. For kings and all who are in authority, why? Why? Why would you pray for these unsaved kings and political leaders that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But see, it says that we should be praying for our leaders, not just for their salvation, but also that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now, this is Paul who's writing this. Did Paul live a quiet and peaceable life? No, he was getting beat up every other day. 
for preaching Jesus. They bounced rocks off this guy's head and thought they killed him. He got up, staggered to the next town, and preached the next day. Okay? He got scourged numerous times, shipwrecked. Time and time again, this guy was beaten, and, um, and then eventually they beheaded him. And, uh, but Paul was saying, though, wouldn't it be nice if, if I, the Apostle Paul, could preach the gospel and live a quiet and peaceful life? Wouldn't it be nice if I had the freedom of speech and freedom of religion to proclaim the gospel unhindered by the state? And if the state protected my right to believe and uh, proclaim uh, the gospel. Uh, and so Paul's saying we should pray for that. Guess what? We got to experience that, that he didn't. Look at how long we could preach the gospel and live a quiet and peaceful life. And now we've had, you know, people have been kicked out of the military for not blindly obeying the government in areas where they disagreed with the government. Uh, we've had people whose jobs were at stake um, going through different situations because they weren't accepting the government's narrative. But we should pray for our leaders and pray that God changes their hearts and they start building our human laws upon God's moral laws so that we could lead quiet and peaceful lives. It's not our goal to get persecuted, Okay. But it is our job to preach Jesus, some of us in a quiet way, some of us in a loud way. But we can never deny our king, and we must preach Jesus. And so we pray for our leaders. This was, remember the passage in Matthew 5, 43 to 48. We looked at it earlier, one of the earlier sermons in this series. But Matthew 5 in a Sermon on the Mount, it's a sermon that everybody thinks they like because they don't read it. See how convicting it is. Matthew 5, 43 to 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the Jewish religious leaders were saying at that time. Boy, that'd be easy to do. You're nice to me, I love you. You're mean to me, I hate you. That's just, I mean, that's just human nature right there. Fallen human nature. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. See, God is perfect. The Greek word means complete. He's complete in his love. He loves the believers and the non-believers. We need to love the believers and the non-believers. We need to love our friends and our enemies. We need to be complete in our love. And so that means you pray for your leaders, even if your leaders want you dead. Okay? And... Um, and believe me, there are some leaders, global movers and shakers, um, that want the world's population reduced dramatically. And um, um, I'm, I'm telling you, God, God instituted human government to protect our God-given rights. 
but government is now, government is de deifying itself, demanding worship, and they have the technology that the ancient Roman state didn't have, so there's no, no way to get off the grid now. But this is not grandpa's America. Government doesn't love you anymore. So what do you do? You love our leaders and you pray for them. But we got to obey God rather than men. When you signed up with the Lord Jesus, when you trust him for salvation, um, suffering comes with the turf. So we just, we just got, we got to just grow up. We just got to realize we got to face the music and um, America's becoming like the rest of the nations on earth. Where if you love Jesus, you get persecuted. And don't take it personal. Um, the world could care less about Phil Fernandez. Okay? It's like, I'm just a, who is this guy? You know? Uh, the world could care less about you. But when the world hates Jesus, if they see Jesus in you, they're going to hate you too. Okay? And, um, but we, we can never, we, we can't turn our backs on Jesus. He would never turn his back on us. He loved us enough to leave the throne room of heaven, become one of us, and take our punishment for us. How, how can we turn on him? And, um, you know, and, and I like that I'm reading a lot of books now that of Christian thinkers who are really aware of what's not only coming down, coming down right now, but they knew it was coming down 30, 40 years ago. It sounded the alarm, even though people called us kooks back then. Uh, but I like that when I get to the pages about, well, what do we do about it? Um, there's no baloney there. There's no, like, secret formula. We do these three things, and we turn America back, and we live happily ever after. And it's like, no, these guys are seeing how bad it is that unless God miraculously intervenes, America's beyond the point of no return. Things are pretty, pretty bad. And, uh, and you know what the advice I'm, I'm, I'm finding from a lot of these intellectuals, and I am so grateful that they're proclaiming the truth. Here's the advice. What do you do when persecution comes? Be the church. Be the body of Christ. It's no secret formula. You got to keep on doing what God's called you to do. And so look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the church at its earliest moment, they had just gotten baptized with the Holy Spirit, so I think they're getting an A-plus at that point. It takes a few minutes to, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it takes a few minutes to blow it after that. So, uh, so they were getting an A-plus at that point. But um, Acts 2, verses 38 to 47 if you go to a church and they're not doing these things, it's not really a church. Maybe it's an assembly, but I don't know if it's a social group or what. But, but this is what the church does. These are characteristics of a healthy church. Start at verse 38. And this is when Peter preaches. They, the church got baptized with the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire. 
spoke in tongues. Now there's like thousands of people there. And Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Verse 38, then Peter, then Peter said to them, boy, you talk about a comeback. 50 days earlier, this guy denied Jesus three times. And now he preaches a powerful message filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved. Then Peter said to them, repent. That means to turn from your sin. Metanoia in the Greek. And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone has need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Uh, well, what was the early church like? They preached repentance. You got to turn from your sin and turn to God for salvation. Um, a lot of churches, a lot of American churches now, some of them even call themselves evangelical. They don't preach repentance anymore. They don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to offend anybody. Okay? We got to repent. We got to turn from our sin to God. They preached repentance. They preached the gospel message and told people to be saved from this perverse generation. Then they baptized the new converts. Okay, if you're a believer and you're not baptized, we got water right over there. It's not hot right now, so you know I don't get in cold water, homie. Don't do that. Um, we'll, we'll warm it up. We'll set it up for next Sunday. And you can get baptized, but don't be said. Well, it, it, baptism is not essential to salvation. That's right, it's not, but it's a command from the Lord Jesus. So you can say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but uh, he suggests that I get baptized. I'm, no, he commands you to get baptized. Okay, and um, we preach repentance, salvation through Christ. We water baptize those. We gather and continue in what? The apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teachings. That's why we, we preach the, Old, the New Testament, but the apostles taught us that the Old Testament is also God's word without error. So we preach the entire Bible. Okay, so... Uh, some guy comes along, some guy or gal teaching something new. You know, no, I, 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 I want to stand for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There are pastors in Bremerton that feel sorry for, in Kitsap County at least, that feel sorry for Pastor Phil Fernandez because I'm like a little outdated. And having kind of updated, and it's just like, no, it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints, Amen. okay? God's not re-editing his Bible every few years to, 
to catch up with the wisdom of man, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he gets it right the first time. Um, is our church gathering around the teachings of the apostles and fellowship? Do we really love one another and get along with each other and share Jesus? It is some of you that I have, you know, like with Jacques, I have a lot in common. He liked boxing, I like boxing. Before we were saved, we both liked boxing. Okay, you like football, I like football. We got to, some of you, I'd probably be your friends even if we weren't saved. But to some of us that come from such different backgrounds, you wouldn't have given me the time of day. You might have even avoided me, okay? Uh, but when you worship Jesus, you're my brother. You're my sister, and um, and I'm sure you feel the same way about me. We've got a fellowship, share what we have in common. Then the breaking of bread, I think this is talking about not just getting together for potlucks, but also breaking bread, celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're going to be doing that today. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, they're, they're turning on Christians. They're viewing us as the bad guys. They're coming after us. What do we do? I don't know, celebrating the Lord's Supper is a good start, you know? And praise God that John and others in the church are trying to help us prepare for a rainy day. Things get bad, you still got, you got that responsibility to try to take care of your family. But, um, uh, but we also got to focus on the fact we got to celebrate the Lord's Supper, proclaim his death until he returns in glory. Breaking in your bread and prayers. We pray together. Then fear came upon every soul because of the signs and wonders. Do we, we, do we have a healthy fear of the Lord? Or is it kind of like, yeah, obeying Jesus is optional. We're believers, we're saved by grace, so let me just kind of slime through my walk. Okay? No, work out your salvation. Not work for, it's a free gift. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Got to have that healthy fear of the Lord. Then it would say they held all things in common. It's not communism. Communism, the government takes everybody's money, steals from them, and redistributes it as the government feels well. So the the, the communist leaders are the they're the rich guys. Everybody else starves. Okay, this is Christians who have worked hard and, in the eyes of man, earned their money. Those who have more are sharing it with those who have less. Okay, we try, we try to be there for each other. We try to help each other out when we're having a rough day and stuff, you know. Now, if you got three cars in a driveway and an $800,000 house and, um, and you just bought a boat and you're falling behind on the payments on the boat, uh, we're probably not going to help you, okay? But we had a 90-year-old lady that was living on hot dogs. She didn't even come for us for help. Uh, Cease had to do an investigation. I told Cease, go figure out. She says she's doing great, you know? And so we, we help out the people who really, really need help, not spoiled Americans like me. And, um, um, but, you know, what do you do when your community, your culture hates Jesus? We've got to be more intentional about being the alternative. 
community. We're a subculture. If our culture hates Jesus, we're a subculture within our culture. We got to tell people, look, we got an alternative community, and it's a community of love and truth. Okay? You think you're getting the anti-Christians love you? You get a large segment of this population. Um, hope I don't get in trouble again. But a large segment of our population wants to see people in, pre- in prison just for disagreeing with them um, about a medical procedure. Um, really? United States of America? Um, we got we to tell the world, hey, look, you know, there is an alternative. Okay. You don't have to back these power-hungry politicians and worship the state and live in fear. You know, either they control people either by fear or by handouts. They take other people's money and give it to them. And uh, you don't have to live like that. We've got a family. We're a subculture. We got an alternative community, a community of love. So Jesus could say, the world will know that you're my disciples by how smart you are? No. The world will know you're my disciples by how rich you are? No. The world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Okay? I think that's why our churches in America are so empty on Sundays and our bars are so filled on Fridays and Saturday nights. People feel more loved by the pseudo-love of the bartender and the people that they're drinking buddies than they do when they come to our churches. We guys, we got, you know, it's an old product. 2,000 years old, the church is a good product. It's what the world needs. We got what the world needs. We don't need a secret formula. Anybody comes up with an idea, it might be a good idea. Christian guy, Christian gal, they might come up with a good idea, but you can't tell me it's better than Jesus' idea. Last time I read, Jesus instituted the church. That wasn't man's idea. We got something to offer this world, a place where they can be loved. Now, we got to be patient because the people we bring into the church are going to come with a whole lot of baggage. And you're going to say, man, I don't have the patience to love that guy. He's a bag of worms. Well, look at the patience Jesus had for you before you got saved. The patience Jesus had with me. And then, and this is sad to say, look at the patience Jesus has with us even after we get saved. So you think that, oh, man, it's led this guy to Christ, and he's obnoxious. He's getting on my nerves. Uh, you think, you know, you know, you think God doesn't get, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using anthropomorphic language here, but you think God's not frustrated with you? Every morning I wake up, my back hurts, and I'm like, woe is me. You know, put me up there with Paul and Peter, and just because I got out of bed in the morning. This is come, it's like, come on, Fernandez. You're just a spoiled American Christian. Okay, see, this is, this is why I'm preaching these messages. Some people say, you're too pessimistic. Hey, Jesus told us a lot about persecution. And he told us not to fear and to trust in him. But um, uh, but we're, go- we're going to transition from being 
untested, spoiled American Christians to tested American Christians. I think we're going to find out our churches are a lot smaller than we thought. And um, we got to praise, praise King Jesus. But get, tell, show the people we're a community, an alternative community, community of love and truth. We got to keep on with the mission of the church, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus said, um, told the apostles, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. He didn't say lead people to Christ, make people baby believers. He said make disciples of them. So lead them to Christ. That's just the beginning. Bring them to maturity. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the triune God, and teach them all that Jesus commanded. And then what did Jesus say? He said, lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. You know, Jesus gives us our marching orders like, Lord, I can't handle this. And he's like, I know you can't, but I'm with you. And I love you. And I'll never leave you alone. And I'll empower you. You know, you can feel like you're all alone in a Philippian jail, just you and your buddy Silas. What do you do at midnight? You sing praise songs. And if God wants to bring an earthquake, he'll bring an earthquake. If he doesn't, no biggie. Paul got it the other way. Later on, 2 Timothy, where there was no earthquake, there was no release from prison. There was no Philippian jailer who wanted to know what must I do to be saved. There was just an executioner with a sword. And so we praise Jesus, but show the world, be the church. Just do what God's called to do. Today we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. We're doing it. We're telling, we're telling the world, look, you can mock us. You can laugh at us. You could take our jobs away. You could take our freedom away. You can even kill us if you want. But while I have breath, I'm going to identify. You know, all people want to identify as this, identify as that. Look, God created you as something. And then because we're fallen, he promises salvation. Everybody wants to identify as this and identify as that. You know what you should identify with? You identify with the Lord Jesus Christ in his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us, his resurrection and his return, and that's why we receive the Lord's Supper. We're telling the culture, culture, if you hate Jesus, we still love you, but we're not part of you anymore. We'll, we'll be good citizens. We'll submit to your good laws, the ones that are left. But uh, we celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, I'm telling you, they lock us up in prison. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. We got third world countries. They got Coca-Cola and, um, and chips. You think that's not, that's not pleasing to our king? But uh, no, we're his people. One loaf, we're one body, many members. And... Um, and then finally, my closing point, we'll look at three passages there. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. And you might say, well, Pastor Phil, you just preached five sermons on the coming persecution. Yeah, but Jesus almost always tells us to not worry about tomorrow when he warns us about persecution. So if you think I'm being a little inconsistent, you got problems with, with, with Jesus. Not me. I'm just proclaiming his truth. And he says, don't. He said, look, persecution's coming. They hate me. They're going to hate you. They're going to want to kill you. They're going to lock you up. But don't worry. 
And, uh, and so look at uh, Matthew 6, again, the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody thinks they like it until they read it. I love the Sermon on the Mount, but Bill, I tell you, you got to bend the knee to King Jesus before you start loving his teachings. You don't want, you don't want to get offended. Don't read the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew 6, uh, 25 to 34, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yeah, I, 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 look, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm preaching. God's called me to preach the word, so I'm going to preach the word. And I'm trying not to be a hypocrite, okay? Uh, but I could be one stressed out dude at times. You know, and and it's like, well, yeah, if people knew what I was going through. They could see why I'm stressed. You know, uh, mm, if I get stressed out, don't turn things over to the Lord. And find comfort from him and peace from him. It's called sin. So you pray for your pastor. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I found that out. I'm five foot five and a half. I couldn't even, I couldn't even worry myself to five foot six. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Talking about needs, not wants. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our job. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these needs shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day, it's his own trouble. It's, it's, it's King Jesus, get me through today. And don't just, don't just help me survive today. Help me thrive today. Help me thrive for your kingdom, okay? Now, keep in mind, we're not talking about the world's definition of thriving. You know, second after they killed Paul and his head is severed from his body, the world's not going to say, wow, that guy really thrived. We've got to look at things through God's eyes. Paul finished the race. He fought the good fight. Okay, and it was a beautiful thing. He thrived to that closing second, and then he was ushered into the presence of the lamb who was slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's been with Jesus ever since. And, um, and so don't worry about tomorrow. I look at Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. Kind of really wanted to get this done so we can get back into uh, our survey of the Bible. We'll be in 2 Thessalonians next Sunday. 
And so I'm, I'm kind of rushing through these passages. So make sure you take the half page handouts and go over these passages at home throughout the week. But Philippians 4, 4 to 9, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, you need, Paul, didn't, Paul didn't say rejoice when things go your way. Rejoice, rejoice in the good times. And then you could be sad in the bad times. He says, no, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So that means joy. God doesn't command us to have feelings, okay? He commands us to make the right choices and do the right things. So joy, like love, is a choice. It's not a feeling, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Do people, I went to some boxing matches yesterday. And um, in Bremerton at the Crossroads Church and uh, in the parking lot, they had about 15 boxing matches and all. Did people there see my gentleness? Or did they say, who is this obnoxious guy? I'm hoping they saw my gentleness, okay? Um, Let you gentle. I made a lot of friends. Talked to Jesus with people. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. That means don't suffer anxiety. Don't be stressed out for anything. But in everything, instead of being stressed in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, so no matter how bad things are, you got something to be thankful about. Because God, our God intervened. Not just on the pages of history, but our God intervened in my life and in your life. He saved us. He's given us the new birth. We got plenty to be grateful for. Don't be stressed, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You know, ungrateful prayer warrior is an oxymoron. They don't exist. If you're a prayer warrior, you're grateful to God for the good he has done and for who God is. Don't be stressed out, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then what will happen? When you take the cares of this, you know, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. You give God your anxiety. You give God your worries. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay? And, um, and then he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Keep your mind on the pure things of God's word. And even the beauty of God's creation, as long as you're grateful to the creator who gave us these gifts. Focus on the things of God. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. We get God's joy and peace. This is what I call Paul's formula for joy and peace. Don't worry. You know, there's only two kinds of things you can worry about. I'm still learning this lesson. One are things you can change, and others are things you can't change. That covers the whole gamut. Okay? So why should you not worry about things you can change? Let's say you're spending more money than you're bringing in. You can change that. So change it. Stop worrying. Just, you know, cut down on three McDonald's trips a week or whatever it is that uh, whatever idols need to be smashed in, in your life, 
okay? Um, but what about things you can't change? Well, will worrying accomplish anything if you worry about things that you can't change? Yes, it will accomplish something. You know, a heart at peace gives light to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs. It'll accomplish something. It'll tear you down. I watched my mother's side of the family, the Italians, back in Essex County, New Jersey. They looked like they were 80 when they were in their 50s. And then I watched the Portuguese side. They looked like they were in their 60s, and they were dying in their mid to late 90s. One, the Portuguese were very forgiving. Turn the other cheek. The Italian side got real stressed. I'm not speaking for the whole culture. I'm just talking about the Italians I grew up with. And uh, they had a lot of the sons and the grandkids are coming around to Christ. And, um, but uh, if you can't change it, worrying isn't going to help. It will hurt. And so instead of worrying, you just cast your cares. Like, like Peter said, cast your cares upon him for he careth for you. And so don't worry about tomorrow. And I'm going to close this series on the coming persecution uh, with John 16 and verse 33. John 16 and verse 33, and then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And King Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, I mean, what a king we serve. He's going to suffer and die that night. Horrible. Well, the next day, really, he's going to get beat up that night, but he's going to be crucified the next day. Most horrible, painful, shameful way to die. And you know, his main concern was he was worried about the guys he was leaving behind. What a king we serve. You know, you think the powerful people of this world, uh, you know, the Bidens or the... Uh, uh, Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, you think they care about you? I know somebody who cares about me. Somebody who cares about you. And his name is Jesus. And he is king. King of kings, Lord of lords. Creator and the redeemer. And he is good. And he is kind. And he is forgiving. And so the night Jesus was betrayed, he said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, suffering, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know why we shouldn't worry about tomorrow? Because our king already won. You might say, but Lord, this life on planet Earth is pretty rough. He's like, that was your choice, not mine. You guys blew it in the garden. It's a cursed creation. Don't get too comfortable with planet Earth. We're citizens of heaven. And we're going to have tribulation, and it's going to increase for the American church. We're going to have tribulation in this world. But take courage. Be a good cheer. Our King, our Savior, he is good. And he has overcome the world. Let's, let's close with a word of prayer. 
Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and uh, help us to be that church you want us to be, that family, that assembly of believers who assemble in your name, in your son's name, in your spirit's name. Help us to love one another and to be there for each other. And, uh, and as our culture uh, hates the one that we worship and starts to... Uh, express that hatred towards us. I pray, Lord, you know, we're not like the Nigerian Christians. Their, their faith has already been tested, or the Chinese Christians. Their faith has already been tested. Our faith hasn't been tested yet. There's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats. So I pray, Lord, you'd strengthen our faith. You'd strengthen our love for you and our love for one another. You prepare us for the days of head, the days that are coming. Uh, we know, Lord, that we, you, you told us there's going to be tribulation in this world. But help us to be of good cheer and be courageous because we know our King, the King of Kings, King Jesus, has conquered through his death and resurrection. He's conquered the grave. He has overcome the world. May we trust in him, not in our circumstances. May we turn our stresses, our worries over to you and be people of prayer with thanksgiving. May we seek comfort and peace and joy in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.